Welcome to NACE Clinical Highlights. I'm Dr. Greg Sherman. It's my great pleasure to welcome Ms. Ashlyn Smith. She's an adult endocrine physician assistant and president of the American Society of Endocrine Physician Assistants and an adjunct assistant professor at Midwestern University in Glendale, Arizona. Welcome, Ms. Smith. Thank you, Dr. Sherman. I'm very happy to be here with everyone today. I'm very excited to bring this topic to our audience today. And I want to try to address two issues associated with symptoms related to hyperthyroidism. And George asked about uh, hyperthyroidism associated with myopathy. And then uh, Barbara asked about heat and cold intolerance related to thyroid. And I wonder if you could sort of address the impact of thyroid disease with those three uh, scenarios. Yes, uh, the temperature intolerance is a, a pretty common um, symptom related to either hypo or hyperthyroidism. So typically with hyperthyroidism, we're thinking heat intolerance. So somebody that typically feels hotter than they normally do or hotter than those around them or becoming, especially here in, in the valley, if they feel even more heat intolerant than they typically do. And that's important to distinguish from whatever their normal is. We all kind of have our, our normal temperatures that we run in. So we want to ask compared to their normal. And then myopathy, that might not come out as just a frank symptom. You might say, you might have somebody who just says that they're kind of tired. And the more you explore it, the more it's like all that exertion that can't really keep up. Or you notice there's any um, weakness as they're standing from a chair, if they're struggling to stand from a chair, that's another sign of, of muscle loss. It might also just be muscle pain. They might be noticing that they're feeling very achy, which has a number of possible causes, but thyroid dysfunction specifically, well, actually hyper and hypothyroidism can both cause muscle pain for different reasons, but that myopathy, that muscle breakdown can be seen with hyperthyroidism. Great. Thanks for clarifying that. Ken asked about subclinical hyperthyroidism in elderly or young adult patients, how you manage that. Very good question. So subclinical hyperthyroidism, when we're seeing that TSH that's suppressed without the elevation of our, uh, our actual thyroid hormone levels, that is if our patient is elderly or so typically over the age of 65, or they have some other condition that I'm concerned about, like a heart condition, or they have osteopenia, osteoporosis, much more inclined to treat in that situation. It becomes, especially as they get older, it becomes an ethical issue for not treating, even if they don't have symptoms, because we know the cardiac conditions that can develop. In our younger folks, that's more of a discussion based off of kind of that shared medical decision-making discussion. If your patient is not really symptomatic, they don't have those high-risk conditions, and there's only a mild suppression of the TSH, it might be appropriate to just monitor. But if they're having a lot of symptoms, I would treat regardless of where, of how suppressed that TSH is, because like we talked about, the presentation doesn't always match how, how extreme the thyroid function test is. They could have minimally suppressed TSH and very symptomatic depending on their sensitivity. Great. And do you typically hold off on your ultrasounds until you coordinate with a thyroid uptake and scan, or do you order that sequentially once you palpate a goiter? Great question. And whenever there is any question of, of structural concern, then yes, we get a thyroid ultrasound. We don't necessarily have to wait until that uptake and scan is done. So for him, he had a, a, a nodular goiter palpated on exam. We can go ahead and order that ultrasound. We don't necessarily have to wait. Similarly, Great. using your clinical judgment, if they are noticing that they're having compressive symptoms, it's, it's not a bad idea to check a thyroid ultrasound and you don't have to wait for that uptake and scan. 
For patients on amiodarone, how often would you check TSH if you, if you do at all? And what do you do if they're testing abnormal? Great question. And this is something, this is actually pretty common that we see. So anytime when they are developing symptoms like we've talked about, it's good to check before any treatment is started for somebody newly diagnosed with AFib, because that's one of those presenting symptoms that we talked about, those presenting conditions. If they have new or worsening AFib, we need to check their thyroid hormone level. So first check it at baseline to make sure that that's not an underlying cause. When somebody's placed on amiodarone and then we get a hyperthyroid state, we don't know chicken and egg, which came first. We don't know if they started out hyperthyroid and that's the reason that they became, they developed AFib. So there's not a standard protocol for how often to measure the, the TSH while they're, they're on uh, amiodarone. I would at least do it annually so that we're picking that up or anytime some of those symptoms develop. So have it high on your index of suspicion. If they start to notice temperature intolerance or they're losing weight without you know, an explanation. Um, similarly, if they are noticing any of those other, if you notice their calcium levels elevated, you notice that their bone density is going down, check the TSH is a very easy test and it doesn't require fasting. It's available on, at all labs. So it's really high, a potential high yield, very low burden to check a TSH level. Terrific. Uh, Gloria asks if there's any medical treatment for large goiters with benign nodules to avoid surgery. Very good question. And the short answer is not really. The long answer is that we, if there is abnormal thyroid function, we, yes, we do have the potential to treat. So when we are, are treating um, abnormal thyroid function, this includes hypothyroidism. So with hypothyroidism, that TSH is elevated because the pituitary is shouting at the thyroid gland to try to make it make hormone. And it's a thyroid stimulating hormone. So as it's trying to stimulate it to make hormone, it's stimulating it to grow. So if we treat the thyroid dysfunction, TSH returns to normal, that gland will slowly shrink up over time. It's a slow process, but it does improve. So it depends on how, how symptomatic your, your patient is. And the recommendation to move towards surgery for benign thyroid disease is a very individualized discussion. So there's a lot of discussion of risk versus benefits because there's really not a time where they have to do a surgery. It's really based off of how their, their comfort, their quality of life, their symptoms are. Okay. Maybe one or two quick ones. Um, and then we'll wrap up how George wants to know how frequently patients with hyperthyroidism get hypo after treatment with I-131 or surgical ablation. Absolutely. Good question. So when we're dealing with Graves' disease, that's actually the goal. So with Graves' disease, we want to ablate all of that tissue that that antibody could stimulate. So Graves' disease, if dosed appropriately and they have that good high uptake on, on scan, they're not on the thyroid or PTU, they're going to have a good response. They do, we counsel, you are going to become permanently hypothyroid after this treatment because that's the goal. We don't want the, the TRAB to be able to stimulate anything. 
When it comes to uh, the the toxic nodular goiter or what our goal is to, to return those folks to normal, but they do sometimes go low. I don't know the actual percentage, but it's around a third of the time they actually do end up going low. So that's a good chunk of folks that end up going low afterward. Um, so the it, it depends on what the condition is that we're treating, but definitely with Graves' disease, it's permanent irreversible uh, hypothyroidism that we're actually targeting. And one last question, Deborah wants to know, should you be doing an uptake and scan on elderly patients with hyperthyroidism and atrial fibrillation? That's a good question, and it does depend. So if you uh, if you have an otherwise definable reason, if you already have your diagnosis, you don't necessarily need to have that uptake and scan done. So if they are on amiodarone and they develop hyperthyroidism, that uptake and scan is not going to be helpful. It could show high, it could show low, it doesn't really help us very much. But let's say they're not on amiodarone and we see their hyperthyroid positive TRAB we don't have to put them through an uptake and scan. We can go ahead and, and treat because we know the, the cause. If we're not sure what the cause is, that's where that uptake and scan does help out. And I did want to clarify one thing, um, a very, a very um, not well understood phenomenon in the general population is um, the weight changes that can happen and the blood sugar changes that can happen with a hyperthyroid state. So when somebody um, actually has that predisposition to prediabetes and we see their blood sugar go up when they're hyperthyroid, those folks actually tend to gain weight when they are hyperthyroid. So it, it, can really mess us up as clinicians thinking, well, this can't be hyperthyroidism. It has to be something else unless they have that genetic potential for prediabetes. Then they'll actually gain weight because of that insulin resistance that then leads to increased insulin secretion and insulin is our fat storing hormone. So that can be something that we want to make sure not to miss from a clinical perspective because we're thinking it can't be hyperthyroidism if they're gaining weight. For some people, it can't. Miss Ashlyn Smith, it is a delight to learn from you. And thank you so much for your education on, on this really challenging but important and under-discussed uh, topic for our colleagues today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I want to thank you, our audience, for joining us for this podcast. I hope you've learned something new you can bring back to your practice. We look forward to having you join us for other upcoming podcasts in the near future. Be well. Be well.